0: Welcome to Media Path. I'm Louise Pelanker.
1: And I'm Fritz Coleman.
0: And it is excellent that your Media Path has brought you to us this week because we are more of a destination than a rest stop today. Coming right up, we've got Paul Cowshill with insights into his time on the road with Helen Reddy and young people pollster Cyrus Beschloss with all kinds of intel on how he knows what he knows about how people think and feel and vote. But first, we're gonna get into what we've been watching this week and reading this week. And I've been watching for the last few weeks, actually, on PBS, a show called The Trouble with Maggie Cole. Have you seen
1: this one, Fritz? I haven't seen it yet, but you've been bragging about it, so I'm I'm on it.
0: Yeah, it's so British, it's the best. Okay, so it's created and written by Mark Brotherhood and starring Don French. The Trouble with Maggie Cole is set in an adorable British fishing village, and it features a cast of equally darling townsfolk who grapple with the consequences of town gossip gone viral. The writing is smart and funny, the setting is delightful, and we get to watch characters dig in and work through rifts and struggles as that very effort actually strengthens their bonds. Quite healing stuff in the times of today. And there's another film that I wanted to talk to you about, Fritz. And this was one I just like, I always kind of cycle through documentaries because I'm like a big documentary freak. And I found this this film, it's called Assholes, A Theory.
1: (laughs) I saw that, but I I was afraid it would be too like an autobiography for me, so I didn't plunge in.
0: No, it's like that really pulled me in because I just want to know why. I mean, for me, it's like, okay, yes, but why? Because we, you know, we see them everywhere now, right? So this film is inspired by Aaron James's New York Times bestseller of the same name. Assholes investigates the breeding grounds of contemporary asshole culture and finds hopeful signs of civility within our emotionally complicated infrastructure. Walker studies and tracks the migration of the asshole from Ivy League frat clubs to the fast moving thing breakers of Silicon Valley and the (laughs) greed is good (laughs) gaggles of international finance. Why do assholes thrive in certain environments? What explains their perverse appeal? And how do they keep getting elected? All of that stuff is explored. Uh, they go into ah. like great detail on Berlusconi. Like they barely touch Trump. But basically like going into Berlusconi is like very Trump adjacent. So it's like the psychology of like, why why is this guy the hero? You know? And I think that that we've seen these themes repeated throughout history, where even just in sayings like nice guys finish last and stuff, which we know isn't true, but why does it keep getting repeated? And what is it about the bravado of male adolescence that where some people evolve out of it and learn and grow from it, and some people get stuck there?
1: Well, that's the conundrum, but anything with John Cleese's imprimatur on it sounds good to me.
0: This movie probably wins the award for the most time. The word assholes is used in one film.
1: Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see it. I'll take your recommendation. Yes, please do. And let's just face it, the Brits, the Brits make the media path the yellow brick road because <laughs> th- th- there's nobody better. There's nobody better in any form of media, in theater, in television, in movies, which brings me to what I want to talk about this week. And I yeah. want to tell you quickly, because the second episode is on tonight. This All being right. taped on Tuesday.
0: Is this, and speaking of assholes.
1: Oh, right, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> there has to be. There has to be another word.
0: Yeah, a better you know, word, a, word is, a deeper
1: word. But now, listen. Everybody knows that there have been too many stories about Nazis. Tim Allen used to call the History Channel the Hitler Channel because that's all they had on there. I'm telling you that you owe it to yourself. If you are a clear thinking, inquisitive American that wants to understand where we are right now, you need to watch this. It's called The Rise of the Nazis. It's a PBS uh, presentation, another BBC production, uh, and it is wonderful. In 1930, Germany was a liberal democracy. Four years later, the democracy was dead. Now, this series tells the story of how that happened, and leading historians get inside the heads of all the key players in the Hitler story. It's a documentary, but with wonderful reenactments that honestly could be pieced together to make their own feature film. Episode one last week was the chain of events that explained Hitler's rise to power. He had a failed coup attempt in 1923, but then he learned the trick is to turn the Nazi party into a legitimate mainstream political party. And it worked. Episode two is tonight. It deals with the first six months of uh, Nazi power. And and I'm telling you, what is so compelling about this, particularly the first episode, is in Germany between 1929 and 1932, the beginning of of the Third Reich, the political climate was almost exactly like where we found ourselves in the United States over the last four years. The divisions, the politics, the anti-immigration rhetoric, the racism, it will give you goosebumps, but it's such a learning experience. The only difference was that Germany had just been humiliated in World War I, so they had low self-esteem, which always makes for a vulnerable person. And they were all in the midst of uh, economic decline. We're not that bad, but the cultural and political vibe Is going to be very familiar to you. You can't help but wonder how close we are, or we will get, to a similar scenario. So I highly recommend it. The other one's on at nine o'clock tonight. Number two out of a series of four.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it kind of feels like, oh my gosh, I can't watch this. It's like we're living through this. I can't watch. I have to watch, you know, something Australian because I or 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 something in a little village, uh, a fishing village, and I have to just escape. Especially no, I after know. The election. Well, you but, had a lot
1: of emotional investment in this, uh, in this election. But and I, did, I get it.
0: On your recommendation, Fritz, I did watch the first part of Rise of the Nazis, and I'm I'm very glad that I did because I I just think it's it's not you know saying it's a cautionary tale as almost you know not giving it enough credence. Yeah. It's it's yeah. really too important because these themes and you know even the you know the asshole culture and just a lot of these themes and a lot of these human tendencies prevail throughout human existence and they and our job as humans is to push against the, those kinds of forces or those kinds of uh predilections or those kinds of captivations and, you know, someone who's just charismatic and, and, and colorful and uh, saying things that I agree with, but wasn't, uh, wasn't really willing to say out loud. And now he's saying them for me and he's our mouthpiece and, and this is great. And I feel emboldened and we have to just catch our breath and say, okay, is this good for me? Is this good for culture? Is this good for my town? Is this good for humanity? Yeah. Because if you have to answer, hmm, maybe not, maybe it just feels good, then it it could be really, really dangerous. It's, a, it's yeah. just and, dangerous.
1: And, and for those of us who continue to ask themselves this question, even in light of the recent victory during the election, how did we get here? What alchemy occurred that allowed America, the greatest democracy in the history of the planet, to evolve to this point, this dangerous precipice on the edge of uh, authoritarianism and neo-fascism. And why this is important is, you know, some countries in Europe, including Germany, apparently they have a short memory over there, are having a rise in these neo-fascist groups again. So it's as if it never happened, which to me is mind-boggling. But anyway, it's a good read. Don't want to dwell on it too long. I hope you'll read it.
0: It's It's a good watch. Maybe Mm -hmm. it is based on a book, which we can find out for you and put that in our show notes. But we're going to move on to something a lot happier. And that's our next guest our first guest he is paul castle my very good friend of the highly musical castle family welcome paul
1: yay hey Weezy. Hey, hey fritz how
2: are you guys doing
1: i'm We're so doing happy well. to talk to you again it's been a long time it's it like
0: has refreshing been too long. to talk about yeah. hitler and then to talk to you it's like really we've turned a corner <laughs> yeah
2: but i've been watching that. i watched that i'm watching that show you know it's insane and it's like Because, you know, you can understand it now that we're older. When we were little, it was like just happening. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's a great history lesson. I uh, love
2: that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting.
0: Well, did you know this about Paul? This fun fact about Paul Cowseil. Because I did make a movie about the Cowseils, full disclosure. And I recommend that everyone watch the film. It features Paul. He is one of the uh, traveling, touring musical Cow Sills. But after touring the world with the Cow Sills as a boy, Paul took over road manager duties with Helen Reddy. And there is a new film out on Netflix about Helen Reddy, aptly titled "I Am Woman," and it stars Tilda Cobham-Hervey as Helen Reddy. She's probably Australian because every great American is Australian. It turns yeah, out. Yeah, it was
2: it was a, it was a good match.
0: Paul, we are our fact checker here on this on this biopic. How did they
2: do? It's- well you know they did okay they did okay um (laughs) all right they got they got jeff going way over the line really really early and that that was not how he was all right explain who jeff is really heavy what's that who's
0: Who's jeff explain
2: oh jeff wald was helen's husband Mm -hmm. so here's okay let me just give you the story really quick so i get drafted i'm in that 19 year old draft and we were in europe and we were doing our own USO uh, tour, you know? And when I came home, I saw that letter and I immediately went down and joined the Navy because, you know, we were Navy family. I figured, man, if I got to do this, Fritz, yeah, might Fritz be did a little easier. You,
0: four years in the oh, Navy cool. rather than, yeah.
2: And, you know, Richard was, uh, my brother was over there not having a good time, but anyway, so um, I, I did my time. And, and, and like, I mean, like all of us uh, being in the military back then, you were no hero, you were a piece of dirt kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. the, the The world has changed with that, you know? And so, but when I got out, man, it was rough going, it was rough going and and I didn't know what to do. And uh, because, you know, I'd been in that band so long, we really didn't have any work chops, you know, I couldn't go out and go, okay, I'm gonna go get this job and or that job. And uh, so got out of the Navy and uh, I called a guy, a guy named, um, uh, Peter Yahoo, uh, believe it or not. And he was uh, worked for a, a, an agent who got us all these college tours, uh, all these college shows through the Midwest. Lenny Neymark was his name. I called Peter up, and he said, look it, let me hook you up with a sound company. And so he sent me, I went to Kearney, Nebraska with Susan and the kids and Meredith and the dogs and uh, signed up with this sound company. I couldn't have been happier. I mean, this was like, a godsend to me at the time because i just couldn't figure this whole thing out just getting out of the service and you know all of that and not having the councils anymore that was really gone and that whole deal and so anyway i started doing sound for everybody john denver 10 years after i mean it goes on and on neil neil diamond uh, i I worked on his album out of the uh, in new york and um and everything was going good. And then I was told to take a truck from Carney and go hook up with this tour that's just starting up. And it was Helen Reddy. And I really went, so I went Helen Reddy. And they went, yeah, I don't know how, you know, I don't know how to love him. That was the first song that got her going, you know. Yeah, and so was- they said that. And I went, oh, how cool is that? And then Mac Davis was also, her and Mac were going out as a team for their big push, their first, their first push of uh, you know getting out there in front of everybody and so i was doing their sound and doing their sound and the first time i hooked up with them jeff jeff wall her husband had had me drive a semi truck into love airport in dallas he had me drive that truck up onto the top ramp and that truck got stuck (laughs) underneath the overhang Okay, and Stan Miller and Jeff Wald and myself, and these guys are screaming and the cops came, everything happened, they took Stan Miller away uh, and he was the the, the head of the sound company. And Jeff and me, and I just learned how to drive this 16 wheeler, Jeff and me went back and I set this uh, system up and it was going on and on. I couldn't figure it out. I remembered it was in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And I got the sound and all of a sudden we had sound on the stage. I don't know how it happened. And man, Helen came up to me and I didn't know her. She goes, Hey, Helen ready. She goes, nice job. I knew you could do it. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, if you only knew what I don't know, (laughs) it was crazy. But anyway, and so I was doing their sound and, um, At the end of that tour, both Sandy Gallen, who was Mac Davis's manager, and Jeff Wald, who was Helen's husband and manager, both had me in their offices and wanted me to be their road managers. And, you know, I took Helen. And I don't really know why. Max crew were, were kind of rough around the edges for me. And I was taking care of them. And I didn't need to be taking care of a bunch of grownups, you know. Mm-hmm. And they just, the band themselves, and I loved them. They were the best people. But it was just too crazy. This wasn't how I dealt on the road, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I went with Helen and Jeff, you know. And that was the way it was. And I went to Jeff and I said, yeah, dude, I'll, I'll work for you. And, and then it began. And then it began. And and it was funny, early on in the whole thing, uh, Jeff Jeff came to me and he goes, hey, you know why you've got this job? And I go, I do not know why. And he goes, because I wanted to be around somebody who was all the way at the top and now is all the way at the bottom.
1: Oh, thank you, Jeff. And I
2: put my hand on his shoulder. I go, well, watch, because this is how it's done. You know me, Louise, I'm yeah. so happy. I mean, nobody can, nobody can get me. Nobody can make me feel lesser than i am at any point point. No, so we were tell, tell them
0: tell huh? tell your mom's nickname for you
2: oh god 10 miles of bad road no she <laughs> called
0: you she called you loose leaf because you she just called flew- me loose leaf
2: yeah. because i was 10 miles of bad road no
0: because you just went with what well, what's happening let's go let's go
2: uh, yeah, and my clothes were really loose because they were everybody <laughs> above me. <laughs>
0: That's right.
1: Well, listen, how did how did you feel about the movie, Paul? I mean, just uh, for, well, you know, and, and no movie is the identical set of circumstances, but did they they do a generally good job?
2: Look, it Jeff is not taller than Helen. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. He, he never was, so that threw me off, and Jeff never had a head of hair like that. That guy was way too good looking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I only knew it uh, up till about seventy, you know, seventy-five. Was that the "I Am Woman" time though? No, "I Am Woman," but we were we were traveling and we were doing this this concert on "I Don't Know How to Love Him." That's what was propelling this tour. That was a big hit. Not "I Am Woman" yet, right? And then I am woman happened and all of that, the rest of that happened. So did you see any
0: of the abuse, the like emotional abuse and the drug use and all of that?
2: Look at, I saw Jeff abuse people 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. So that, but you know, it was all verbal. Look at, I mean, I understood Jeff really right away. I mean, here's a guy who went to central park one day uh, when he worked for a William Morris, I think agency. And he, he was, he had a job to pick a band and there were two bands in the park playing. And, and he came back to his agency and he goes, okay, we're going to go. I think it was deep purple. I forget the band that they said in the movie, but that was the band he picked. And then the councils eight months later had rain the park and other things, just screaming on number one on Cashbox. And so Jeff got fired from the agency for picking the wrong band.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> so this and, was his close So, so having, having, you know, rain over you was his revenge over that.
2: Exactly. We had this really big dinner one time in Mac and they were all having a dinner for me because I did so good on the sound. Okay. And we had the dinner and it was going and, you know, and everybody was toasting me and we, and so now we're breaking apart. We get up and everybody's standing uh, up. It was on uh, Coanga, some fancy restaurant and and over everybody and everybody's congratulating me and all that and then Jeff goes Tay hey, Paul I go yeah Jeff he goes make sure you get my clothes at Peter's cleaners tomorrow oh my god
1: <laughs> then Does I looked it... and I went
2: you got it brother and man we left there and Meredith you know my wife she goes she goes wow you got to let him talk to you like that I go look at it. he that's his issue it's not my issue he's got the issue so it's at really this at way this way chapter
0: it. of your life Paul when all of this is transpiring Did you notice that you had gravitated from one abusive family member manager, your dad, Bud Cousel, to another Helen's husband, Jeff Wald? Did that occur to you or did you think this is just what happens in show business?
2: Well, you know, it never occurred to me, but, you know, I was very comfortable inside that dichotomy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I mean, everybody was more, um, everybody reacted more about what Jeff said to me than I did.
1: Oh, okay. You know?
2: It was, but I you, never you had really a lifetime fought.
1: building up defense mechanisms against that sort of treatment, you know? Right. Yeah.
2: I guess so. Yeah. You know, it, it was, uh, I'm always been, I'm look at, I take orders really well and I don't care what an idiot the order giver is. If an order <laughs> comes to me, I'm going to do it. It's just the way I am.
1: Yeah. So Paul, did that girl, uh, the, uh, uh tilda cobham hervey did she sing in that or were those helen tracks that were lip-synced you, know, you know i
2: thought i heard one helen track in the very beginning of the movie but but that had to be that girl because it wasn't quite helen, she was
1: pretty she, good though but she was pretty if you if you understand it's her then you say well that's not a bad stab at making she, helen oh my like god him she did so
2: great. You guys, uh, as, as far as the moves on stage, you know, Helen always looked a little hokey when she was going <laughs> to really get into it. And that girl nailed it.
0: That
3: girl That's nailed so
2: it. cool. Helen was a beautiful lady. You know what? And look at, I love Jeff Wald. You know what? I love him Cause man, he gave me a job when I was so down and out. I can't tell you how low it was. I had two kids. I mean, I have the whole thing going on. And uh, so my hat is always off to Jeff Wald. You know, I'll tell the stories as they were, but I love that guy.
1: Yeah, and you know, no. honestly, uh, uh, Paul, that's a great point, and I think it's a parallel description of Helen's relationship with him because at the beginning of her career, when nobody would pay attention to her, Mercury Records shot her down. It was a real misogynist business. Uh, they thought yep. unless you didn't have a unless you had a boy band like the Beatles or the Easy Beats was the big one at the time, that they didn't want to hear from you. But he believed in her from a very early stage, and so her devotion to him and her ability to put up with that that happened on down the line the, the peak of his cocaine addiction was was devotion to the man that made it happen for her it's no exaggeration
0: but that's right. what made that me was feel like dream. it was so mm. similar to the dynamic of Bud yep. Cowsill believing yep. in his kids you know bashing down all the doors to get them in the room and then continuing to bash down doors to where he was like poisoning relationships and <laughs> yeah. it, I'm sure it felt extremely familiar to Paul. But now you were old enough to go in and repair that, to walk up to the busboy that he had just demeaned and be like, hey, man, you know, you're cool. And, you know, as a child, you really didn't have. Every time I,
2: Wheezy, uh, whenever, you know, something's on TV about us, Jeff will call me. He will find me and call me. And the first thing out of his mouth, he'll go, who's managing you? Who's managing you? I always tell him, dude. You know who's managing us. We're managing us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: No, I got it. All right. Who's ready to welcome our next guest? He's Cyrus Beschloss, who, according to his Twitter bio, is the owner and founder and CEO of Generation Lab, Whippersnappers, explaining their fellow Whippersnappers. So when I I read his bio, I thought, okay, so here's a college kid who pulls college kids. And who better to pull college kids than a college kid, because it feels to me like College kids don't even set up their outgoing voicemail. Like, how do you reach them? So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Cyrus, and then we're going to greet him. Cyrus Beschloss founded College Reaction three years ago as an undergraduate at Williams College, now called Generation Lab. The company conducts political polls of thousands of young people. Its statistics have been featured in outlets, including The Washington Post, MSNBC, and Axios, which recently described College Reaction as one of the most reliable guides to college student opinion. So tell us about this career and how you got into it, Cyrus.
3: Hey, Louise, thanks so much Hi. for having me. Of course. So uh kind of dove into it super, super uh, spontaneously. I was a freshman in college and I applied to be on the school newspaper. Wanted to do basically what we ended up doing uh, with Generation Lab, effectively get opinions from students around the country on, at that time, this was around 2016, wanna get a sense of what people were thinking about, you know, the rise of Bernie Sanders, the, mm-hmm. the onset of Donald Trump, get a sense of what students from different campuses were thinking and sort of, you know, break the whole stereotypical bubble uh, that we like to think young people are in. Um, yeah. I got rejected from the student newspaper. And, um, Wise people, I, I would not have wanted me on the staff either, but um, I still wanted to do it. I still wanted to, to do the whole thing. So um, long story short, I ended up connecting with, actually at that time, a lot of journalists from around the country um, who wrote for their different college newspapers. And um, we put together basically a publication of about 90 journalists from about 50 different schools writing about those topics. Um, and that was kind of the the forerunner to, to Generation Lab. That was sort of a, a qualitative uh, reflection of Generation Lab. So ended up making the pivot towards polling because a lot of op-eds on on Donald Trump isn't necessarily a um, statistical sample, statistical representation of how students feel about him broadly. But it was an interesting place to
0: start. Well, have you always been kind of a numbers, explain feelings kind of guy? to sort of want to dig into the numbers and get to the core of why is this happening?
3: I'm a big latch of the numbers guy. I'm a big get-in-touch-with-folks who really do understand the nitty-gritty of the numbers guy. Um, okay. There are a lot of smarter people around me, um, and unfortunately to surround myself uh, with them, but my mind definitely uh, goes straight to the numbers.
0: So explain your methodology, because it seems like there's no way to reach these people. They're not taking your call.
3: Yeah, that's that's dead on, and that's kind of the the uh, the rationale for us doing this in the first place, as opposed to other big places that all people that, that, you know, we've had this whole referendum on polling, obviously, since 2016, it's been a slow motion one. And then I think it's getting a little, little, uh, a little hotter in the last few weeks. Even um, we reach young people. Um, it's surprisingly similar and surprisingly different to how we'd reach anybody else. Um, For one thing, we have to start out by building a sample frame, so a big, giant population of the students that we're trying to reach in a way that's actually methodologically sound. Lots of folks do what's called, I'll keep this super, super brief so I don't get too wonky, it's called river sampling. So folks will end up, and these are really reputable firms, um, folks whose polls we digest and and, and spread regularly, at least I I do, Um, will basically take a sample of, um, of respondents from, let's say, um, people who just finished a YouTube video or people who are shopping on a specific site. Okay. okay? And you can see what's wrong with that, right? Like somebody who's going to buy um, Gene Joggers at llbean.com might be somebody different who's than who's uh, you know watching a, a Cardi B YouTube video. So that's a really common step in sampling. Uh, we don't do that. We do kind of the opposite. We reach out to students directly. We go straight to uh, students, oftentimes via email, which I know is shocking that students check their email. But um, we go out and we basically, we contact thousands upon thousands upon actually millions of students and tell them, hey, uh, we need a few minutes of your time to ask you about this. What we think it's a pretty important question. Uh, and they'll get a small incentive every time they do that poll. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very straightforward proposition. There's there's no question as to why our respondents are filling out the poll, uh, which we like. We want to know why people are doing it.
0: And can people game polls? Can people uh, figure out? Okay, this email just went around, and I'm now gonna like multiply my response by <laughs> a million using this computer hack I just co- coded. I don't know.
3: Right. Oh, you're you're one of the you're one of the people that uh, that we have trouble with.
0: Okay, (laughs) I'm Um, not gonna do it. I'm just thinking. I'm just always thinking about like how technology can go awry.
3: Dead on. So the smart ones try, or the irritating ones try. Um, No. So we are able to actually monitor if you spend, let's say, a certain amount of time on the poll, you're booted. You are not counted towards the sample, and in our case, you don't get the incentive that comes along with that. And so that's a key thing that pollsters really do have to, to reckon with. So, there's speeding, uh, which you just said. And there's also something called straight lining, where you just basically, you know, you look at, let's say it's a multiple choice poll. I hit A, 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 A. That's one of the big cons of digital sampling versus, um, you know, random digit dialing. But that's something that we can really, really, really easily mitigate if we want to actually take a step to do it. So, and you're right with this population, we got to make sure that. That folks are awake
1: at the wheel. I, I, Cyrus, I couldn't wait to talk to you because I have a college daughter. And to me, that seems like the mother load in polling. Everybody makes these uh, sort of generalized comments about first time voters and how can we activate kids to get them to vote. And regardless of what they feel, they don't want to go out to the polls. So getting inside their heads seems to really be a, 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 a a place that a lot of adults and people who do that for a living would like to be. I I found it interesting that you went from uh, changing your company or you changed your company from doing just college kid sampling to everybody of a certain age, college and non-college. And I wondered if in your research, you found that the divisions the philosophical and political divisions between college and non college kids are the same as white educated uh, college educated adults and non educated- uh, adults which explains this rift in the in trumpism right now is it is it at all similar
3: so that's a super easy question I'm sure I'll be able to answer it in in five seconds um, <laughs> uh and for of all, it's great to, to be with you too, Red. I know a lot about both of y'all's backgrounds, so I'm excited to, uh, to be with, with uh, three grades. Sure.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, honored to have you. All
3: over here. So um, I think the short version is uh, we still, Yakata said a really interesting time, like you said, as we're transitioning over to not just college students, but the broader youth population. Um, we have, that, if I'm going to be completely, we have not done enough, pulling in volume to make a full-on claim like that. But you're damn right. That's exactly why we made this change in the first place is because that's exactly what we suspect. That's exactly what we suspect, is that we, and by we, I mean people that are focusing on young people, but then also we as just the research industry, are missing something, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, the... (laughs) I really do reject the notion that in 2016 the polls got it wrong. You know that um, that things were severely off. Uh, if you look at the 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 popular vote, it was within definitely within the margin of error, and frankly razor razor close to what they projected. What I do think is happening though is we're missing certain voices. So even if the overall picture is pretty dang good picture, there are certain voices that are getting left out. So um, naturally. Folks that aren't going the college route are harder to reach naturally. let um, say they have college emails. There's uh, just less of a centralized system to get right. to those folks. So we suspect that that's um, that that's the case. That there are you know completely different worldviews that are guiding folks who take uh, who take different routes. Um, but I should say I'm also based on what we have done in the past, I'm also guessing that there's gonna be a lot of overlap. There is so, so much um, that we're surprised by when we look at sort of the crosstabs of, let's say, uh, lower income students um, at Harvard versus let's say higher income students at Southern Methodist. Um, I think we're gonna find a lot of crossover still so it's a lot,
0: fun. a lot of people our age who lean democratic are hopeful that people in your generation, across the board, either college educated or high school educated or trade educated, however they choose to go in life, are going to be more open minded, more less racist, more open to LGBTQ plus folks. Is are you finding that to be the case? Is do we have reason to hope?
3: What I can tell you is, 2020 was pretty resounding in terms of where young people came down politically. Um, number one, they swung um, at about double the rate for Joe Biden than they did for Donald Trump. So it was about 67% uh, for Joe Biden, according to our polling, to about 20. Should um, get this right. About 27% or so for Donald Trump. So that tells you something. We also see there's a really, really, really strong engine towards the left. There's a really strong motor towards the left among, uh, let's say, left-leaning college students today. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see that obviously 66% support Joe Biden. That sort of speaks to your to your political soul to a certain degree, right? Mm-hmm. But then yeah. oh, you know, he's relatively moderate according to young people. We pulled this sort of for our own information, but we ended up finding something pretty interesting. We found that of the potential nominees for 2024, um, our population was most excited about the notion of an AOC uh, candidacy that would come as a shock to a lot of people. It definitely, definitely jarred me. Although I, sh- I shouldn't have been surprised from the other polling we've done. Um, is that
1: proving there are more left now, either as a, a reaction to the Trump era, or is it just the typical leftist nature of college students who are idealistic and free thinking? What do you think? Like I, 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 I wrestle with it. I, well, I'll tell you. Here's what I think. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer your question by asking my next question, which is. <laughs> How how and I'm asking this as a parent, not as an interviewer. How many of the youngest first-time voters, whether they admit it or not, vote in their parents' wheelhouse and not so much on a decision they consciously made on their own? Hmm. You know is, what I mean? Yeah. A- I mean, so a- as they get as they get farther into college and they make up their own mind and they and they have intercourse with their. Uh, both uh, philosophical and physical with their uh, <laughs> students, uh, you don't they, 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 then they have their own opinion. But I think at the start, like that first, that 18-year-old vote, yeah. I, at least among my uh, my daughter's friends, they seem to be parroting their parents' political philosophy and then drift away from it the older they get. I am i don't know that you know the answer to that. It's just no, 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 interesting
3: totally. to me. Um, I'll speak anecdotally and then I'll also speak uh, statistically. So um, statistically, you're right on. We haven't pulled that specific question. You know, how does your political uh, tilt compared to your parents? Um, that's not something that we've objectively pulled. Here's um, what I'll say anecdotally from my time recently in college, and then also just a lot of the other qualitative research that we've done so far. Folks that are really, let's say, high information, uh, really big news diet. Folks that are getting tons of news there tends to be the most variation from their parents in either direction wow folks that are you know watching the occasional debate here and there and 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 taking things in kind of passively yeah there's there's um a lot of overlap with their parents
0: well let me uh, ask paul whose kids are a little bit older how did you watch them track as they as they cast their first vote at, now into their 40s correct
2: yeah um late 40s actually and um you know i see it more with my grandson
0: okay Tyler. UCI. yeah
2: yeah tyler and um he uh he actually dragged his parents out <laughs> to go vote. <boat. laughs> did he oh. and he turned 18 he's 22 now but when he was 18 he he took his parents out to vote so
1: you know cyrus there's a great stat about that exact topic that i read on your twitter page that sixty-one percent of college students said they would confront their peers who did not vote. That has to be a lot higher than adults. Adults would just sit there and be passive aggressive, or and, you know, talk <laughs> behind their neighbors' backs. But kids would get right in the face, which I think is so healthy and wonderful. I hope they continue that yeah. into adulthood.
3: Did any of you all did any of you all end up confronting or addressing anybody after the election who didn't vote, or everybody in your circles no. voted? everyone in my circle
0: voted and uh that's a good question i for me it really felt and probably for fritz it well as well it really felt like the majority of people that we knew were voting for biden and the few friends and loved ones that we have that that are that voted for trump we just don't really talk to them about politics as we we just feel like it's it's so, it's so divisive that i mean as i told uh Fritz, last week we were talking about the election, you know, we had um, you know, kind of a battle of the lawn signs with the people across the street and we love them. We bring them food and they bring us food when we've been cooking. But we don't we don't talk about politics because that's just something that is felt so deeply, and it's almost like it it's almost like parallel to religion, whether you're religious or not. But a lot of people on the right are deeply religious, and so they've always voted Republican and they just don't quite Recognize what a danger Trump presents to the universe. They just are simply voting their values. They're great people who are just simply voting their values. Really? And that's oh. why I choose not to go there. It's just, so, it's, so, it's, it's, it would be like asking them to convert to a different religion. It just feels that deep and I, that, that's not my place. Hasn't How about you, way, Cyrus? Right? Say yeah. that again?
3: Hasn't always been that way though, right? No. This is
0: Ugh, the worst I've ever
1: seen in my life.
0: Yeah, it's it's worse than ever but
2: it, it hasn't been Yeah, Paul. It, it hasn't been like this forever. This is this is happening right now. You know, honestly, I think what happened in 16 was that people were t- you know, we saw the gridlock in government, you know, people saw the gridlock and so they thought, you know, whoever went with the Republicans they're thinking and this guy, look, it was like Ross Perot. When Ross Perot was mm-hmm. out, you know, he was a normal cat, but he was coming from the same same point of view—a businessman in there, not a not a long time politician, you know, who's mm-hmm. going to get you infrastructure. And nobody gets infrastructure, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's years and years, you know. It's it's yeah, I don't know. I don't know I, why I don't people know. tend to crazy.
0: we tend to you know they represent us, and so we tend to feel like. They are us and that anyone could do it, but it is a job that requires as much expertise and training and education and knowledge as anything. And you wouldn't want an outsider flying your airplane. So why would you want an outsider uh, running, running, running government, even though I know insiders can be corrupt. And so we always want to guard against corruption. We think the answer to corruption is someone from the outside. Well, maybe he should have been. Checked out by the FBI before, you know, mm-hmm. he was deemed an acceptable outsider to be, you know, he couldn't pass any government clearance, Donald Trump. But he was the only one who didn't have to uh, didn't have to go through that kind of battery of uh, vetting. And maybe Cyrus, that's,
1: I, I, yeah. I, that's so that's so true, Wheezy. One of the, you know, in all the post mortems that Democrats are doing about this election, particularly in Florida, was the fact that the Republicans were able to use the socialism buzzword to scare people, particularly people that came from pre Castro Cuba and all that. But I don't think among young people, the word socialism is as scary as it is for older people. We're thinking about Eastern Europe and all these places. I don't think they give it as much cachet. So down the line, I don't think that's going to be a buzzword that anybody's going to be effectively able to use
3: in I politics. I think you're dead on Fritz. like, it's, Um, Two things. Uh, The word itself definitely does not have the same sort of bite that it does for the general public, no doubt about it. Um, But even more so, it's the policies. The policies young people like, and frankly, from polling that's out there, the general public likes, quote-unquote, socialist policies a lot more than they'd care to admit.
1: The key is you have to understand what the word means before you right. can criticize it. That's a tricky
0: part of the word is if you, and it, you know, the word can mean different things in different points in history and different parts of the globe. But like, technically, I think the word means that some of the industry will be partially at least owned by the government. And that's the part that gets scary or slippery, slopey, and that gets a little bit frightening for people. And, you know, I always say on this show that I, I feel like governance and anything in our lives, whether it's our diet or, how much screen time that we that we allow ourselves is about balance so like my my nephew is just recently graduated from college and like his he's he's just like you know the typical college kid who thinks you know turning hard left is is the proper reaction to donald trump and and i'm saying no get the car on the road and then we can make little adjustments just like you would in steering you wouldn't just like do a hard yank left because Trump is horrible. So, but that's something I think that you learn through trips around the sun. And I think college kids are just ready to go. They're like, let's bring it, like, you know, let's bring like free college, free, free everything, you know, Medicare for everyone. It's just, that's just awesome. And so we learn from that. We learn from their excitement about what they really want right now. And then we learn that in order to get there, you still have to steer carefully. You can't do a hard yank. I don't know how you we're feel about if you if you feel strongly about politics, Cyrus, or if you're just so focused on finding out what other people feel that you're that your own feelings, you know, tend to you, you know, you tend to like, you know, keep them in check.
3: Right. No, yeah. I, I always say I, I have no opinions whatsoever. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll channel the others. But I couldn't agree more. Uh, and then the one thing that I will say is that young people were finding Policy-wise, I think you nailed it. Um, Medicare for all, uh, really aggressive. Climate action, these are all super, super popular. Mm -hmm. Um, Gun reform. But young people are so pragmatic. Um, Civic engagement is a really new feature. When people kind of talk about the difference between Gen Z and millennials, um, you know, what distinguishes them. I'm actually technically a millennial, but then people that work with me are Gen Z and and vice versa. But um, it's that. It's the fact that Gen Z, this this, this youngest generation that's currently in college right now, they're getting out to the polls. They're getting out to vote. They're phone banking. Um, Civic expression is cool. And whether or not they support Green New Deal, or if they support um, whatever, they're going to get out there. And they're going to make their opinions known, and they're gonna confront folks that don't necessarily get out and vote. They're well, so you, the,
0: smart. Kids are so smart. Is it the urgency of, uh, in our response to Trump, or is it that the internet is breeding more informed aware engaged citizens in general, do you think? If there weren't the, the emergency of Trump, would they would they be as involved?
3: I hate answering both when people ask really nuanced questions like that, but okay. the answer is both, okay. it's, it's, it's both. Um, Trump supercharges it, but the Internet is 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 key is
1: yeah. I and what I, I think kids are going to I mean, every generation says this, but I believe it because my daughter is smarter than anybody in the family <laughs> and, and she really is. And yeah. and but you know what they they're all the issues that you brought up, Cyrus, uh, the Medicare for all the the environmental turn that we have to do here. All of these are the things that matter. What the young people don't do, that means anybody younger than me, is allow identity politics to rule what's going on. It's not about identity. They accept everybody. They don't have the racial biases that we do. They don't have the gender biases. They don't have the uh, selection, you, your your sexual proclivity biases we do. Let's get on to stuff that matters. That's why I love them. And I think ultimately they will save us from ourselves.
3: <laughs> Last thing I'll say on, on, on that one front is like Bernie Sanders. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Folks say right. Like whenever folks say, "Oh, young people, you know, they want," like you said, um, "they buy an identity politics is, to the extent that it's going to completely steer their vote." You know, young people only want um, a young person representing them and of a certain race, of a certain gender.
1: Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Oh, no. I, I, <laughs> absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, that's what it. things do you do? Uh, you, you poll for uh, uh, businesses other than politics. What are some of the other things you and the company do?
3: Yeah. Um, so we poll on sort of two chief areas. Uh, we've got, uh, we call it public uh, polling for the use of the public. And that's just a really nice acronym that I reverse engineered so that it would be PUP. Um, <laughs> there you go. And, and then, so that's that that's why we got into this. Like, that's why we do this in the first place um, the polling that we're talking about right now. And the other half is doing, um, polling for, for clients who are doing market research and want to get in young people's brains and just do a better job of talking to them and, you know, not sound like such a, uh, geezer. I I sound like a geezer when I'm talking to people like two years younger than I do, than I am. (laughs) Uh, so like, I mean, no BS I do. No, but the
0: language moves that quickly is what you're saying.
3: So, yeah. That's, that's the other half of what we do, is we work with businesses and tell them what they need to know.
0: Now, since you're kind of reinventing polling by necessity because of how quickly technology moves, are other grown-up or more grown-up poll- pollsters ever wondering what your methods are? It's like, what, inside the polling game, is there a lot of kind of like keeping secrets or sharing ideas?
3: Mm. If anybody wants to... S- Goes out to all the pollsters that are listening. <laughs> if he wants to share secrets, uh, see the comments. I'll give you my phone number. Um, we we've been in contact with a lot of uh, the giants in the polling industry that you've heard of. Um, won't name specific names. I I don't never know how those uh, how those go. But um, yeah, the short answer is yes. Folks can reach this demographic. Folks can reach Gen Z, but they just don't. They can't do it cost effectively yet. They can't do it in scale to the extent that it matters. So we've worked with some folks and we um, have given some formal and informal advice uh, to folks to to do this better. Because we're not, I mean, I'll say this one last time is that we really are not, we did not start this to make money. Like we did this to answer these really interesting, really important questions. And um, we want to do that and we want to help polling in Pulling wants to talk to us, we will talk to Pauling.
1: I think you have the mother load. A lot of people want to know what the young people are thinking and you and your business haven't been around long enough to answer this question, but I'll throw it out anyway. What do you think has been the biggest shift in the psyche of young people recently? Uh, something maybe you've noticed it from the beginning of your company to where you stand right now, have there been shifts? Attitude shifts, political shifts any 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 large differences from one year to the next?
3: Yeah I'd have to say I'd have to say it's the extent to which talking about pragmatism, it's the extent to which young people were willing to sort of fall in love then fall uh, fall in love in the primaries and then fall in line
0: right um, mm. Oh, so do you feel they fell in line for Joe because they really were in love with Liz or Bernie? Yeah.
3: Our polling had them. um, Bernie and Liz were both leading by far and for a really long time. And then uh, by the time it came time to to choose if you're going to vote for Biden or for Trump, they turned out in a way bigger way um, than they did in 2016.
0: And do you feel – I kind of want to credit Biden, a campaign he ran, because he was so inclusive and – I feel like he worked much better uh, post nomination with Bernie than did Hillary. And what, what what are your feelings along those lines in terms of giving Joe credit for building a, a wide tent?
3: Sure. No. Yeah. I mean, I I think he's gotten a lot of praise um, in youth circles for the way that he incorporated Bernie. Both like symbolically, he got out there and talked um, talked to Bernie, and they had appearances. And they had all this stuff. But Bernie was part of the he was part of the platform committee, wasn't he? And yes, he was. He Right, his his climate policy. Um, so again, it, it's that second part. This is this is what I always say about young people. They hate getting getting um, like pandered to, yeah. And they can sniff it from a mile away. Yeah, so much better than I can even like people younger than me. Um, and so I think because you had an actual commitment to you know progressive climate policy. That mattered, young
1: people. I think that going back to the Hillary Clinton campaign, and and again in this one, one of the most hopeful things, which makes me respect the political opinion of young people, was that they were willing. This this proves your point that they're pragmatic, that they were able to accept these philosophies from a geezer the oldest guy on the thing it's not that all uh, you know when we were growing up when Weezy and i were growing up or when i was growing up um anybody over 35 there was no validity in their opinion but the fact that they're willing to take this person who's had this experience and has these political bents and and accept them to me is very hopeful that means they're not you know it's not ageism it's it's uh being pragmatic, which well, is Bernie kind of cool. Well,
0: Bernie calls Joe kid, so there's
3: that. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there a guess. there's and there's one quote that I really love. Um, I um there's a there's a senator out there who likes to say, uh, "It's not about," and it's not an endorsement of the of the senator. This is an endorsement of the quote, which okay. is, uh, "It's not about <laughs> the age of, uh, it's not about your age. It's about the age of your ideas." Uh, and I think
2: that that's perfect.
1: Mail. I wish I thought of that before I was.
0: Definitely sounds about. like something Cory Booker would say, but I don't know that he said it. I don't know who said it. But it's a great. That's, <laughs> it, that's, it. that's a great. That's a great quote. Uh, uh, Cyrus, may I ask, are you the son of Michael Beschloss?
3: I I am I am. Uh, Michael's my dad. Um, I will, I will see him tonight, um, and we uh, we have good banter.
0: Would you tell him that he has raised a wonderful kid?
3: Yeah, uh, I, I don't want to lie to him, but that's. <laughs>
0: No, tell them that that you polled me and that was my opinion. (laughs) I'll tell
1: you, uh I I don't know that. and, And I didn't want to bring up this earlier because I think what you've accomplished, Cyrus, is really amazing. And I think the service that you're providing is going to become even more valuable over time. But I have to say this about your dad, because we've been looking for little voices of reason in in, in all the cacophony of uh, in the craziness. But it was always a pleasure to hear your dad put all this stuff into some sort of historical perspective and let us know it's not the end of the world because it was something similar back, you know, in the early 30s or something. And it was always lovely to hear a, a studied, even voice that sort of Put it within the arc of american history and he does a, an amazing job so he's yep. he's he's
3: jazzed that i'm talking to you all today he knows all about it and he's okay cool. he'll be he'll be thrilled to hear that so thank so you so much was like was you know nice. like the
0: whole four years is like you know michael beschloss is speaking and it feels like a hug and then it gets to that point where rachel goes have we ever seen this before and your dad's just like no i'm like <laughs> oh my god we're doomed you
3: no, no. <laughs> can get pretty concise at a certain
2: it's <laughs> yeah, pretty funny
0: Paul, do you have any any last question for uh, Cyrus while he's here, while you guys are here together?
2: No, just very interesting, actually. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Paul, can I is, can I just what do you think of what do you think of young
3: people's music taste today? Is it uh-huh.
2: some is good? I mean, some I like and some I don't. Okay. You know, I mm. never liked Justin Bieber honestly when he was rapping, but now he's singing. I'm digging him. <laughs> I'm digging I him. Actually- I swear. That's evolution. Okay. That's
1: you're just cool saying that because you're making a gig being his road manager or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 No, yeah.
0: Dude, just let Paul add it. I'm telling you, that guy. <laughs> yeah. I'll Paul, do it. Paul worked on hey. the TV show Grimm for like four years, setting up all the forests, like carrying trees. Yeah, I built
2: se- I'm an <laughs> extreme landscaper. No way. <laughs> but because but, I do big trees, I deal with big trees and sets in the forest. And I did all the, the Twilight movies and then Grimm for six years. But right now I'm working at Safeway as a as as a courtesy clerk, and I've been there nine months, and I was employee of the month for August. Nice at Safeway, oh, yeah. and I'm they
0: now are a
1: lucky did. to have you, my friend. No,
0: but you have to know bat this is because all the concerts have been canceled. There's no there's no live performance. Whole performing. life got
1: canceled out,
0: and so Paul's and thing wife- is like, let me get to work. Whatever needs yeah. to get done, I'm doing it. And I that's didn't want to I...
2: listen to all the stuff. I didn't want to deal. I, I, I couldn't sit here on the farm and, and do farm stuff while my wife was working at the pharmacy at Safeway. So I wow. immediately went so as soon as hit. I love that. I went down there and got a job and I said, I'm going to get a job at Safeway. And she laughed at me. She goes, You are not. I go, watch me. Watch. And now yeah. I run the whole store. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's it. That's Paul. I do. All right, you guys. Yeah, so you we're gonna,
0: I just I'm so appreciative uh, to my thankful two guests. To have you both. And, and thank right. you. And thankful to you, Fritz. Here come the closing credits. We would love for you to join us online on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Media Path Pod and on Facebook where we are Media Path Podcast. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, Media Path Podcast. I want to thank Cyrus Beschloss and Paul Kausil for being with us today. Greatly appreciate the fine contributions to this program. Our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesco de Manda, Mosey Masenko, John Maddox, Bill Filipiak, Thomas Hubble, and you, our listener. I'm Louise Planker here with Fritz Coleman, and we will see you along the media path.